State Representative Walter Hudson joins me in studio. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Um, how far this Illinois bill where they have this uh, mandatory paid leave for any reason at all? Hmm. It doesn't seem like it really is that big of a stretch or that big of a difference from the paid family sick leave that we've enacted here. Here, you're supposed to do it for sick reasons, for health reasons, where in Illinois, they've just wiped it completely. You don't even have to give give a reason. Is that a, is that a stretch or do we have more stipulations as it relates to, uh, to, to ours? Well, we're doing it in a little bit more piecemeal fashion. So there are three different major employer mandates when it comes to time off that are in various stages of uh, the legislative process. So we had on the house floor, the earned safe and sick time which passed. Okay. And I forget the particulars of exactly how that worked, but it's, it's like all of these proposals. It's a bank of time that you can use that accrues based upon how many hours you work. Um, And, Notable aspects of it is it takes effect immediately on day one, like you start earning earn safe and sick time the first hour that you work, the first day that you work, um, and it applies to employers no matter how small they are. So if you are a lemonade stand and you hire one person, you owe that person time off immediately upon them working a certain number of hours. So that's one proposal. Then they've got the uh, pregnancy leave that we heard, I believe, last week. So that's a thing. Um, and that's unpaid, but it's time off. It's still operational okay. imposition upon the employer. And then you've got the uh, piece de la resistance, the uh, earned paid family medical leave that's on its way. Um, and that's the big one. That's the one that in some cases you could be stacking. As I read it, you could be stacking up to 36 hours of paid time off because they it breaks down into three categories. One is the medical. So you have to have a health professional sign off on your medical need. I'm sure that'll be extraordinarily difficult okay. to find somebody who will do that. Sure. Um, for the for the medical side, then there's the family, and that's the closest thing to what you're talking about here in Illinois because they say family, but what it really means is they they have the word in their affinity. So if you if you feel nice towards someone, <laughs> then they qualify as family. They're like family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know you're you're it's like that scene in Spaceballs. You know your cousin's nephew's former roommate. Um, if he's got a sprained ankle, then you can stay home for 12 weeks and prop it up with a pillow if you so desire. Uh, so that's the closest thing to the Illinois thing. And then there's an additional 12 weeks, again, as I recall, um, that can apply to like military contingencies. So you're in the National Guard. You got your weekend a month, two weeks a year type situation, which, of course, we all support that. Um, but theoretically, you could have somebody who takes 12 weeks off for medical, 12 weeks off for family. And then 12 weeks off for military reasons. That's more than half the year. And then you, and then if, if they're female and they uh, have a pregnancy, they throw in another potential however many weeks of time off up to 12, as I recall. So you just basically take the entire year off if you play your cards right. You just got to know how to work the system. What if you identify as a female and it's a perceived pregnancy? <sighs> You're taking us into dangerous waters there, John. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just I just took I just took the lid off the can of worms there. Uh-huh. My 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 apologies there. No 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 no. <laughs> Don't apologize to me. You just um, I I have to exercise extraordinary self restraint. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I saw it. somebody had shared the other day. Now this was actually for legitimate purposes, but I'm waiting for it to not be. But it was a device. 
It's kind of like when you get an EKG and you put the you put the sticky stuff on there and the electrodes and all that. But it was a device, and it's for women to simulate um, contractions. What? <laughs> right. There's a device, and they put you put electrodes on the little pads on your belly, and this is this is supposed to be for women before they get pregnant, so they can simulate contractions, so they know what the pain feels like. Ahead of time, so they can know what to expect, right? But we, but, 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 but we, but we know where this is going. We know that this will be adopted for individuals that want to. It's kind of like the uh, the the the, uh, the electronic version of sympathy paints. So I know I've, I've I've even got you flummoxed on that one. You're even surprised to hear that. Yeah, I saw the other day. It was legit. I looked it up. It was legitimate. I know. <clears throat> it's a crazy world we live in. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting to me when it comes to Illinois enacting the mandatory paid leave for any reason at all and what we've done and what we're doing here in Minnesota. I mean, it would I don't want to give them like credit credit doing that thing with my fingers, but like at least the DFL seems savvy enough to kind of enact something similar, similar to this without going all in. We're in Illinois. They're like, we don't care. Like, I'm almost afraid, like, I was almost hesitant to bring it up on the show, because based off what I've seen coming out of this legislative session, I'd hate to give anybody any further ideas to go and just say, why are we even putting in any stipulations at all? But in Illinois, apparently, they just don't care anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess there's there's different approaches to affecting the same end. Um, but what, I think what you need to understand with all of this, you know, because I've been I've, I'm afforded daily opportunities to ponder why it is that they do the things they do and what it is that they're ultimately trying to achieve. Um this all really does come down to, and I know it's a word that gets tossed around a lot and it, we've all kind of become numb to it, but it's true. This comes down to the implementation of Marxist ideology. So in, in Marxist ideology, you're dealing with class warfare. You're dealing with the, the idea of there's a group of oppressors and there's a group of oppressed. Um, and you're in one category or the other, and you could be in either category to varying degrees. But that's those are the categories. And so their objective through all their public policy, whether you're talking about public safety or you're talking about uh, economic development or you're talking about uh, job and workforce, whatever the, the environment, transportation, their objective through all of it is primarily to to identify who is being oppressed by whom in this sphere and then enact policy to try to even out the economic outcomes. Um, and so in this case, their view is that the employer is the oppressor of the employee. Just categorically, if you hire somebody, you're oppressing them. Now, I'm under the impression, apparently misguided, that when an employer hires me, he's doing me a favor, right? Like the, the, the notion that I have an opportunity to make a living riding alongside, riding atop of an enterprise that I did not create. Um, and I can, I can have this arrangement whereby I am guaranteed you're employed. You are guaranteed to get paid, right? Like you can, you can show up on your first day and you could just be a complete clutch. You can walk in the warehouse, knock everything over, a bunch of shells fall, fall down. Like you can, you can completely destroy the place and you're going to get paid for that day of work. That's going to happen. The employer has no such guarantee. They go into every enterprise, every transaction, um, every experience, every day with the potential for loss, with the potential for bankruptcy. 
but you get to ride alongside that enterprise and be guaranteed that you're going to get paid something. And if you're worth a damn and you're able to provide value for that company, you're going to be able to maintain that relationship to mutual benefit for as long as they want you and as long as you want them. Um, the left sees that as an oppressive relationship somehow, some way. And so all of these policies, all of these mandates are their efforts to punish employers for oppressing you and lift you up to be in a position that is comparable to, in their view, where the employer is at. And of course, the, the, there's, there's lots that's wrong with that worldview, but from a practical perspective, the ultimate thing that's wrong with it is that the employer can decide not to be an employer anymore, and then everybody loses. We seem to land on this similar theme uh, every week when you when when you join us. But this is you know I mean this is the the, the ongoing struggle of what we're dealing with with the power dynamic here in the in the state. It seems like prior to this past election, what we've seen here in the state of Minnesota has been more of a it's been more of a slow crawl towards what you were just laying out, and now we've really hit the accelerator. And this is a, a twisted way to look at it. And I again I. I believe we've approached this before, but it continues to sort of play on my mind. It's almost looking like, well, you know, sometimes you need to destroy in order to and in order to rebuild. I mean, everything that they're moving forward on, it's not sustainable. You know, it's not sustainable. I know it's not sustainable. I think they are misguided in thinking it's sustainable. But I also think there's a level of what they're doing that's very intentional. They know it's not going to work, but they also believe that they can continue to sort of ride in and convince individuals to put them into power to fix the problems that they're actually creating and in the way that they gaslight and certainly did this last election. So I guess there's a twisted way to look at this as, you know, as a state, we will decide in fairly short order, looking on a long enough timeline, you know, years still, um, you know, what this state is going to end up becoming. And if we're going to turn things around, perhaps this is the faster way to do that as opposed to if we had a divided government and there was an ability to slow things down. Right now, they're going all they're going all in. And we're going to know in very short order just how disastrous their policies, their policies are. And it's going to be up to those individuals that care about this state to pick up those pieces and offer better solutions than what they're going to offer. Well, and you hit the nail on the head when you talk about caring about the state, because that's what as conservatives, we have a gut check moment before us right now. Um, it's very apparent to me that the DFL and certainly Governor Walls are engaged in an intentional, long-term demographic political strategy to change the character of this state. Mm. So on a regular basis, what speaking to a variety of proposals, whether it's in committee or on the House floor, we bring up the fact that we have net negative migration to the state of Minnesota. People are leaving, and it's not just the numbers of people that are leaving. It's the kind of people that are leaving. Job creators, income earners, the, the very people who, whose wool is to be sheared in order to provide for all these magical programs, right? And that that's kind of a problem. When you look ahead at the state economic forecast and you see that um, the amount of state corporate sales tax, all, all of our income streams are projected to be relatively flat, and yet we're increasing spending hand over fist, and uh, we're just splurging a $17.5 billion surplus, um, almost half of which, if not more, is one-time money that is not going to be coming in on a year-over-year basis, this is a recipe for disaster. Um, it's also a signal to people who who know 
where things are going to go, that it might be a good idea to get up and leave. Now, we say that to the majority, and they they have nothing to say in return. They don't rebuke it. They don't refute it. They don't argue it. They just remain silent. Tangential to that, last week, Governor Tim Walz signed an executive order to make this a trans-refuge state, mm-hmm. which means you can now kidnap children from other states, bring them to Minnesota for the purpose of poisoning and mutilating them in the name of gender ideology, and their parent who has legal custody of them in another state has no legal recourse to do anything about it. That is an invitation to bring crazy to Minnesota. When we were debating, and and they eventually passed, and Walls signed into law, the most extreme abortion policy in the state, or in the nation, in the world, actually, uh, puts us on par with North Korea uh, and China. They stated as part of their intention, we want Minnesota to be a place where people come to get their abortions. And, you know, maybe they'll spend some money while they're here and stay. Right, right? right. So this is a demographic strategy to drive conservatives out and invite the craziest of the crazy in. Why? Because that calcifies their majority and turns Minnesota into a permanent blue state. So. What we're presented with as conservatives is the choice to either do exactly what they want us to do, which is pick up and leave, let them have it, let them have our home, or to fight for it. Right. And that's a question that I think a lot of people, that's the, and it goes back to what you said. I mean, it's the gut check, gut check moment that a lot of people has to have to ask themselves. Um, when it comes to our healthcare industry, you know, it's concerning It should be concerning for everybody, but it's concerning for individuals who have to rely on the world-class healthcare system that we have here, where you have your critical race theory that's now, you know, seeping in to the decision-making within these world-class hospitals. And and that's another aspect where people are going to have to ask themselves, well, is this... The kind of place where I feel comfortable now getting my my health care, depending on my own particular demographic. It's almost as if Governor Tim Walz is, you know, his one Minnesota we all knew was a lie. He's got one Minnesota. He's creating his one Minnesota because he's going to drive everybody else out that yeah. isn't a part of that one of that one Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, one Minnesota clearly means one vision at the exclusion of all others. Right. Um, it's one Minnesota is in many ways the opposite of E Pluribus Unum. So E Pluribus Unum out of many one um, is not a communist statement, right? Right. What it, what it is saying is that we, we can come together as folks from a wide variety, a wide spectrum of backgrounds around the common identity as Americans, as people who believe in the sovereignty of the individual um, and the and self ownership and the pursuit of happiness uh, and that is very much the opposite of what Tim Walls is doing. All right, Walter Hudson, a state representative, uh, joins us uh, in studio. I'm assuming you got a few more minutes. Sure. Um, I do want to dr- address something that is moving through and kind of get your thoughts on it. Uh, there's a piece out of Alpha News. Legislators call for a return of phonics-based reading instruction. I know there's two sort of bills that are moving through. Curious to get your thoughts on this as we look to something to be done as it relates to our health care. City's News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. John Justice, producer Robbie, State Representative Walter Hudson joins me in uh, studio this morning, as he does every Tuesday when time allows. All right, we got a lot of people on hold that have uh, questions for you. First off, though, let's go here. 
from Alpha News. Half of Minnesota students can't read at grade level. That's just astonishing. A recent press conference, legislative Republicans said it's because the education establishment brought into uh, brought into the bought into the whole language and balanced literacy approaches to reading. They want to see increased funding for schools, teacher training programs, and tutors to invest in the science of reading, which is explicit, um, systematic, uh, cumulative instruction based off of uh, phonemic awareness, phonics, vocabulary, fluency, comprehension. Uh, comprehension. This is according to Representative Patricia Miller. Uh, apparently, the Democrats have a bill that aims to achieve similar goals, um, but that would require uh, districts to provide teachers with training that is evidence-based or based on the science of reading. There's concern that the language of their bill leaves open room for a three-queuing system. We're kind of getting into the weeds on this, but um, share with me your thoughts on there seems to be a potential for some bipartisan agreement as it relates to the literacy problem that's faced in our schools right now. Um, what do you see being done with regard to this? Well, I would certainly hope that this is something we could find bipartisan agreement on. I mean, the, the idea that it's acceptable to have 50% of students, I've seen estimates higher, I've seen 60, I've seen 70, um, not be able to read at grade level. That's, that's an obvious systemic failure. I mean, that is mission critical. That is the check engine light, right? I mean, this, that's insane. Um, certainly doing nothing is not an option. What Republicans have proposed in both chambers of the legislature is to implement what we're calling a reading reset. And the idea is to provide a pool of money, um, grant money that school districts can apply for, for the purpose of, uh, I might, I might be, uh, mixing my, my bill proposals here because we have, we have similar proposals sure. in terms of how they function, but providing a pool of money that districts can opt into for the purpose of retraining their teachers and repurchasing curriculum so that it centers around this science of reading and the science of reading, by the way, it's just a fancy term for you guys remember hooked on phonics mm-hmm. those commercials. Mm-hmm. It's basically just that it's basically just the idea that, Hey, here's, here's the novel concept. Um, we're going to actually teach the kids how to read because that's not what's been happening. Obviously, clearly this whole language approach is it's it's the idea that we should teach kids how to guess what words are by looking at a bunch of contextual clues and and guessing what they think word might should go in there. So so we've turned it into a guessing game instead of teaching kids how to actually recognize sounds as portrayed by letters, which is what phonics is, which is what reading is. Sure, sure, right, right. Um, it's it's absolutely insane. But it has been promoted by these hucksters who've gone around and convinced the education establishment that this is what they ought to be doing. Um, and there is there is an element of the, the kind of the, the the critical theory and the idea of getting at disparities and being culturally sensitive and all this stuff. I don't understand fully how they connect all of those ideas together, but I understand the results. Yeah, the results are kids can't read. You put on top of that the disruption alone in the classroom as well. And, you know, without looking at the data to know how much is based off of what people have. Right. Teachers have reached out to us and just talked about just how the the learning inside the classroom as a whole has plummeted in a lot of in a lot of areas within Minnesota as well. Coupled with that, and you can see how the problem kind of compounds on itself. Right. Let's go to the phones. A lot of people got questions for you. First, we'll talk with uh, Alan. Good morning, Alan. Welcome to Twin Cities News Talk. And you're on with uh, State Representative Walter Hudson. Thank you so much for taking my call. I want to agree with Mr. Hudson. 
Uh, for 45 years, I've been an employer. Actually, I quit about 30 years ago with the rules and regulations that they had, went to subcontractors, and in 08, when the housing market crashed and I was in the land development and housing and lost everything, I reevaluated, and now I'm in the mini storages where I have absolutely no employees. I can do everything uh, remotely. In fact, I'm in South Padre Island, and I can rent you a unit from here. But what, and I want to leave the state so badly. I own two homes in Minnesota, a business, but I have grandkids. As soon as they get, if they move, I'm out. There, there's no way. If you want to stay and fight for that place, you can have it. I, I'm, I just want out of there. Yeah, I mean, I can't blame you. Um, and that is the reason why a lot of people are staying is because of family connections. And think about that. You, basically, that scenario that he just outlines is you're being held hostage, mm-hmm. leveraging your personal connection with your family. And there's and the connection. There's family connections. Yes, your family can leave. No doubt. Your family can leave. But you're leaving your home. You're leaving the place you grew up. You're leaving the, the community that birthed you. You're leaving what you know. I mean, we we talk about it like it's no big deal. Every time a Minnesotan leaves the state of Minnesota because it's unbearable to live here anymore, that's a tragedy. That's a crime. And it's and it's not without a perpetrator. You've they love to talk about victims and victimization. Right. That is victimizing people. You drive people out of their homes. That's your chilling effect that they mention so often. Yeah, it's it. We look, we're conservatives. Um, we buck up and take it. We, we make the, we make the tough choices and we don't complain about it. That's, that's how we are. But you know what? It's, it, it might be given the environment that we currently live in. Maybe we should start complaining mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe we should, uh, call their victimization bet and raise it. It's the only way that things are going to change at this point in time is with enough voices. If the DFL feels threatened in any way, shape or form. And right now they just, they, they don't. They don't, and they won't until people begin to speak up more. And I know that I echo a lot of people that reach out to the show um, a lot. And actually, that relates to a question before I let you go this morning I want to ask. But let's get to a few more of these phone calls. Let's talk to uh, Luke. We'll leave as a question as it relates to schools. Good morning, Luke. Welcome to Twin Cities News Talk. I'm John Justice, and you're on with uh, State Representative Walter Hudson. Oh, hold on. Button's not working. There we go, Luke. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for taking my call, everyone. <laughs> Yeah, multiple business owners leaving Minnesota in June. But anyway, we forget that, you know, Wall shut schools down, not by science, but because he listened to the teachers' union. And my argument is that this was the plan all along. Uh, Walter talked about, you know, we're in a Marxist uh, society, essentially, and what they're doing is they're destroying it completely to rebuild it with their own with their own making. And that's why they shut the schools down and lobbied so hard for them to stay closed so they could have the failed schools and then implement their new policies that they're trying to push through, which they are pushing through. Yeah, I mean, that adds a whole element of, you know, I, I do believe that they're opportunists. There's no doubt about that. Um, you you look at, certainly globally, when you look at things like the World Economic um, Fund or whatever it's called. Right. Forum. Yeah, the, yeah, the World Forum. Economic Forum, yeah. Um, they, they obviously were batting around a lot of these ideas that ended up being implemented during the pandemic that they had already been thinking about previously. And they're like, oh, wow, this is a great opportunity to do what we wanted to do all along. So that's certainly an element of things. Um, I don't I don't know that that translates 
um, quite as specifically as the caller indicates when it comes to education. But the, regardless, the outcomes are what they are, and something's got to be done about it. Let's talk to uh, John in Somerset. Good morning, John. Welcome to Twin Cities News Talk, and you're on with Walter Hudson. I just want to say when Tim Wall signed that bill for to give illegal illegal driver's licenses, what about it's going to make it easier for the cartels to bring up their fentanyl to Minnesota to transport it up here? I think it's one on the list of problems with the driver's yeah. licenses for all, but yeah, definitely. I, I I don't know what do you what do I even add to that? Yeah, that's right. just yeah, it's just true. So before I let you go. Um, we get, and I bet there's talkbacks that are just sitting there waiting. Um, and it's something that, that I've talked about on the show as, as show as well. What the DFL has done and continues to do this legislative session is, is historic. The sheer number of bills that are moving through. We've highlighted the, the lack of fiscal notes, the lack of debate, right. things of this nature. The, the, the lies that they've told, they've told in the campaign trail and they've gone back on and what they've, in what they've passed. So a lot of people reach out and they go, well, can't the, the GOP in the House and the Senate, can't they unite in one voice? Can't they hold, for lack of, you know, of, of, a, of a better strategy, a, a massive press conference to gain the attention of all the media to mm-hmm. point all of this stuff out? I mean, what do you say to an individual that may offer criticism saying, well, the GOP needs to do more to get their voice out into the into the public beyond what you're doing during the legislative session. Well, we've had press conferences. We had a press conferences a press conference around the science of reading that I just told you about the reading reset. We had a press conference last week that I was a part of um, on public safety and our our vision our, our alternative to what the Democrats are doing. Um, there were what maybe half a dozen reporters in the room. Um, we don't own the newspapers. We don't own the TV stations. Uh, we can't force them to look at what we're saying and echo it. Um, I'm doing everything I can. I spend my weekends not always hanging out with my family, which I would love to do, but putting together material to get out on social media in order to expose what's happening down at the Capitol. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, Other representatives are doing the same thing. Uh, They're getting out in their district. They're getting on their local media outlets. They're getting the word out. We need this needs to be a grassroots phenomenon of you echoing the news that we're bringing to you. Don't just consume it. Get it out. There is a, a freedom rally taking place. I'll give you some details on the Center of the American Experiment is putting this together on uh, on April 4th. Just speaking of opportunities to uh, to let your voices be heard. Um, and with that, I know you need to get to. You need to get back to business. I do. Yeah. Godspeed to you, sir. Thank you so much, as uh, always, for the time and uh, making time to come in and talk to us, too. I know uh, I appreciate it, uh, Walter, and the listeners appreciate it as well. And just continue to uh, continue to fight because a lot of people here that are choosing to stay. And they appreciate the fact that you're in there fighting every day. And and I know they want to help any way they can as well. Hey, it's the only way we're going to get it done. Thanks. Thank you, sir.